and um, you want to be part of that. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. It's some of the best time of fellowship, best time being spent in the Word of God. And we're going to be going through The Point of Low Points by Ken Gurley. It is a video series along with a book. And um, and then also there will be a time that we're going to get together and we're going to serve in the community. And we're also going to have time of prayer. Uh, one of those sessions will be dedicated to prayer. And then one of the sessions will be dedicated to us just having some good fellowship and going out and having a good time together as a church family. And uh, I'm super excited about this and the new approach that we're going to be taking. And so you want to be a part of it. Sign up uh, at uh, my, well, it's not on there. I thought it was on there. Mybranches.org slash groups, groups. And uh, it's on the website. You can find it there. And there's a little bit more information about it. Today, I want to preach to you under this title, A Dancing Jesus. A Dancing Jesus. And uh, if you want a scripture that we're going to end up spending some time focusing on, 1 John 2 and 20, and uh, we're going to take a look at the only time that we see Jesus dance in scripture. And that is not in 1 John 2 and 20, but it's another portion of Scripture that we're going to look at. Uh, But today, uh, what I want us to understand is that there is one thing that will make a difference in our life. One thing that will make a difference in our life. And it's not good health. It's not uh, money. It's not... Uh, a great career. It is not any of the things of this world that we often associate with a great experience in life. It is instead the anointing of God. It's the anointing of God. And that is the one thing that separates the believer from the unbeliever. It is the experience that solidifies knowledge of where we stand exactly in our relationship with God. It is the anointing. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And often what we see in Scripture, we see that it is joy, that it is peace, that it is love, that it is power, it is the authority and relationship with God. All of that flows out of that experience with God in our life. And I want to talk about the anointing today. And so I want to talk about the three anointings. In the Old Testament, there are three examples, three anointings. We're going to look at each one of those. And then we're going to look at the time that Jesus danced. And I want to talk about why he danced. And then I want to talk to you about what God desires for you. What God desires for you. And so in laying a little bit of foundation uh, we need to look at the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, the anointing or the oil of anointing was special. A time of anointing was a special time. It was a little bit of a celebration, and it was always done for a specific purpose, a specific reason. There was some reason that God chose to anoint certain people and he would call them out and he would anoint them because he had a special task for them, a special purpose for them. And anything that was anointed in the Old Testament was said to be set apart unto God. 
set apart unto God, meaning it was specifically for uh, God's it was specifically for God's use and God's purpose. And I'll give you just a, a little example on all of the instruments and artifacts, the things that were in the tabernacle, all of those things had to be anointed. And what anointing represented was a consecration to God, meaning it was no longer anyone else's, it was God's only. And so, for instance, if this chair was going to be used, and it is used uh, when people sit in it, uh, for the service of God, they would take this chair and they would literally anoint it with this special oil. And it represented that this chair was no longer to be used for anything else. It wasn't to be used for uh, someone's get-together at their house. It wasn't to be used at the dinner table. It was only to be used as something that was special to a purpose that God had deemed it to be used for. And that's why whenever we read and sometimes we come across the phrase that they brought foreign fire to the altar of God, what God was talking about is that they used the altar for a purpose that it was not intended to be used for. It was misused. It was mis. Uh, it was. It was taken out of its context of what it was supposed to be used for because that altar had a special purpose. And the same happened with people. Whenever someone was anointed, they were being shown to be consecrated unto God. The priest was anointed for the ministry before God, only the priest. And the king was anointed to represent God before the people and make decisions for on behalf of the people between him and God. And so they were anointed for a special purpose. It was not to make the person that was anointed feel good. It was, a not, it was not so that the, the instrument or whatever was anointed would just simply be uh, honored and revered because there was no idolatry with God. God did not want anything to be worshipped in its place, but instead what it represented that it had a special purpose. And I want to tell you today, if you've been anointed by God, and I pray every one of you have because it is an experience God wants for every person, is to be anointed with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That anointing was not just so you feel better about life. It was not just so you know you're standing with God. That anointing was more than that. God has a purpose for your life. There's always a special purpose that is attached to the anointing of God. And oftentimes we look at the benefits of the anointing of God, the joy, the peace, the, the love, the, all of the things that issue and flow out of that. We look at those things and we think this is it, but that's not it. Those are just the benefits. That's the fruit of. But really it's intended for a special purpose in your life, and we're going to talk about that. So the oil in the Old Testament represented the touch of God. It represented God literally touching a person. So when they anointed someone, what they were doing is they were saying the hand of God is on Aaron. The hand of God is on the king Saul and king David on Solomon. The hand of God is on this person. And if they anointed an instrument, they were saying that God's hand is on this instrument. It represented the touch of God, and it represented the presence of God. So anything that was anointed was set apart 
for God's purpose. That oil representing his presence and his touch. And the oil was very, very special. It was expensive. It was a concoction of a lot of different things. A base of olive oil, pressed and refined. And everything, we could spend a lot of time going through and talking about what each one of those things would represent in a dimension of God. But I'm not going to do that. What I instead want to focus on, I want to focus on the fact that it was special. The oil was always kept under lock and key. It was not something that someone had access to except for the priest. The priest had access to it. But common people like you and I would never have interacted with the presence of the oil of God that represented the presence of God. That would have been removed far from us. An average person was never given access to the oil of anointing because of how special it was, because of what it represented, and because it was only to be used for the things of God. And so most often it was used, like I said, to anoint objects uh, more than anything else, but there were certain times that the oil was used to bring a person into service in God's kingdom. And that person would be anointed. And we probably know some examples Aaron, and we're going to talk about Aaron, we're going to talk about Saul. But two of those people that were most often anointed were the priest and the king. The priest, his anointing was specific for a service that God was bringing them into. The priest was responsible for the service of God. He was responsible for the daily activities in the tabernacle. He was responsible for the schedule of worship and responsible for presenting worship before God. And so if you were coming to the house of God and you were going to bring an offering for whatever purpose you wanted to offer an offering to God, you would bring that offering, but you didn't bring it yourself and put it on the altar before God. It, it was a very impersonal thing. You would bring it instead, and you would present it to the priest or one of the uh, Levites that helped the priest, and you would bring that, present that to them, and then they would take, and in turn, they would make the offering on your behalf because you and I were not allowed to approach God. Only the priest, only the, the prophet, only the Levite was, was prepared, and he was the one consecrated, cleansed, and washed, and anointed for this purpose to be able to present to God an offering on the behalf of people. So Exodus 40 and 13, God gives instruction about anointing Aaron. Aaron is going to be the first priest of God. He said, you shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And so what they did, they literally took Aaron and they took all of the old garments that he was wearing and they stripped them off of his body. And then they did a ceremonial washing that said that he was cleansed from the filthiness of flesh and cleansed from the sin and iniquity that was in Israel. And he was being washed and cleansed and set apart. And then they took the holy garments that had been made that God instructed them to make and they clothed him in those holy garments. And then they took this very special, pricely anointing oil 
and they poured it over the top of his head. And that oil ran down over his head. And it's not like when, when we pray, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really nice to people. I just take a little on my finger and touch them, you know. But they, they like, they poured it over the head. So imagine that. Imagine you come up, you're going to get prayed for, and I just start pouring tons of oil all over you. You'd be a little shocked. But this was a special thing. And that oil would run down over his head. It would cover his hair, his beard. It would run down into his clothing, and it would drip from the hem of his garments. They would pour it until it was running all off of him and covering, and he'd be standing in a pool of oil. He was thoroughly drenched in the anointing. He was saturated. He was covered in that anointing. But he was not anointed just to be identified as God's. It says specifically that they would anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Now, when we think about a priest, we think about someone ministering to us. But he said, no, specifically Aaron... He's going to be ministering to me. You're preparing him for me. And so his preparation, his consecration, his anointing was all about ministering before the Lord daily in the tabernacle. And so it required some work. He would dress the lamps. He would uh, burn the incense. He would replenish the table of showbread with the showbread that was there on the table representing the tribes of Israel and food in the house of the Lord. And what this anointing was, it was an anointing of relationship. It was an anointing of relationship. And it was given so that Aaron, a person, whoever was priest at that time, could minister to the Lord. Outside of that relationship, outside of that anointing and that consecration, Aaron could have no relationship with God. He could not have any access to God. He had to be anointed. He had to be consecrated so that he could minister before the Lord. So it was an anointing of relationship. The second anointing that we see to a person in Scripture in the Old Testament is the king's anointing. And the anointing of a king was a calling not to serve God, but instead to serve God's people because he represented to the people the authority of God. 1 Samuel 10 and 1 says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, that's Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? It was never intended that Saul would be king and consider himself above the people. It was instead intended that Saul would consider himself a servant unto the people. And so Samuel is asking Saul, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? He's saying in a way, what is your anointing really for? Why have you been chosen? 
What are you going to do with this anointing now that you've been anointed? And Saul does not answer, and Samuel leaves him to consider the question for himself. Why have I been chosen king? Why have I been anointed? Because the anointing of the king was not for Saul, but instead it was for others who would be following Saul. But both the anointing of the priest and the king were only anointing that was given to people who were chosen by God. So you had to be a pretty special character. And you had to be a person with a specific purpose in order that God would anoint you. It wasn't just an average person. The average Joe or average Sally would never be anointed. It was always going to be a priest and it was going to be a king. It was a very exclusive club, if you want to consider it that way. There were not that many priests that came along. There were not too many kings. You're talking about one maybe in a generation, and if they live a long time, two generations or three generations. But it was a very elite club that they were part of. But there was one person that the anointing could be applied to. We find it in Leviticus chapter 14. And this is the only place where you can find anointing being used for someone who we would consider just common, a common person. Leviticus 14 and 29 tells us that the priest would take in his hand the oil and he would make atonement for one particular person. This person was a leper. It was one who was an outcast. He was despised within the community He was one that was not really, you you saw a leper coming. You didn't exactly jump up and run to them. They were unclean. They were a person you didn't want to be associated with. They were put out into their own leper colonies and, and moved out away from the community and the city. But God made a way for this person who was unclean, who was Uh, in leprosy at that time, represented sin. A person who was unclean, who was unholy, who was not right, this person could be anointed. And it's interesting to think about. God had two people that were specifically chosen, but then you have this subclass of people that God says they can be cleansed and they can be anointed. But they're really the only other ones that would ever get access to this anointing oil. Outside of that, it was reserved only for a priest and a king. We have to consider leprosy was viewed to have been the judgment of God on a person for their sin or their family's sin. And that judgment was the leprosy presented in their life. And so in chapter 14, God is giving the details of how a leper was to be cleansed from his or her leprosy. They could be washed, and they could be anointed. And this anointing is interesting because the other two anointings, the anointing of the priest was an anointing for ministry to God, and the anointing of the king was an anointing of ministry to the people. 
But with the leper, it had nothing to do with their serving God or their serving the people. Instead, it was a very personal anointing. It had only to do with that one person and their relationship with God. There was no fanfare surrounding this anointing. This anointing was done in secret. It was done in private. It was done far removed from prying eyes and people watching. Everyone would come out to see a king anointed. Everyone would come out to see the priest anointed. But when it came to a leper, no one came, and it was done very much in secret. Family didn't come out to witness this occasion because it was a personal thing just between the leper and God. Between a leper and God. Now, if leprosy represented sin and God was making a way of escape for the judged and a cleansing from that sin, in the New Testament, what we have is we have an anointing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, or what we call a new birth, it's a cleansing also. And it's the only anointing that frees us from sin. It's the only anointing that resolves the issue of sin between humanity and God. And so in this very personal anointing, God has made available to all of us who are sinners We don't have to be priests, and we don't have to be prophets. We don't have to be kings. We can be lepers. We can be the lowest of the low. We can be anyone and everyone, the average Joe, the average Sally. And in this one anointing, God has made a way that we can restore a personal relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 1 21 through 22 says this, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. It's God's anointing. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's given us the spirit that represents that seal. It represents that relationship. It represents that anointing. And it's in that experience that we know that we're given a surety in what God is doing in our life. That's an amazing thing. But it's not just that personal anointing. Because in that one anointing, it represents all three in the Old Testament. It represents a personal healing. It represents personal restoration but it also represents receiving a call of God on your life to do something. He said, I've chose you. You're a royal priesthood. I've made you my own. Called and accounted for the purpose of God. But it's not only in relationship to God. It's not only our personal relationship with him. It's not only our ability to minister under him, but it's also our calling to the people that are around us. Because in that one anointing, he said, I'm going to give you power to be witnesses unto me. Acts 1 and 8. I'm going to endue you with power to be witnesses unto me and to all the ends of the earth. So in one anointing, he gives us personal restoration. And in one anointing, he gives us a call to ministry to the purposes of God. And in one anointing, he gives us a ministry that would minister to others, that would witness to them. In the Old Testament, the anointing oil was poured over the head. As I mentioned, Aaron being anointed, it would cover him. 
But in the New Testament, the anointing, 1 John 2 and 20 says it a little bit different. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. That word anointing there is interesting because that word is translated from the Greek. The Greek word is chrisma. And chrisma, what it means, it means to to smear. It means to rub in. And so instead of pouring that oil, Instead of pouring that oil, it means to take that oil in your hand and to rub it in and smear it in. I have a friend who's into woodworking, and he posted a video a while back of of some special technique to rub in uh, stain and oil into the wood. And I I watched the video because it's intriguing. And he was rubbing it in. He was using uh, like a cloth glove on his hand to to get it in there. It was protecting his hand, but at the same time, it allowed him to take that and rub it in certain ways to get it into the wood. You think about in the Old Testament, they would take and they would pour it. But in the New Testament, God says, I'm going to rub it in. I'm going to smear the anointing into your life. Can I tell you that your purpose in God, your effectiveness in God's calling for your life will never be determined by what is poured out in a single moment. It'll never be determined by one single moment with God. Instead, it's going to be determined by how long you're willing to linger and soak in the glory and the presence of God. It's rubbed in. It's smeared in. So how important is the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In the New Testament, there is only one anointing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then that one experience, it fulfills all three of the Old Testament anointings. In that one experience, we get cleansing for ourselves. That's our personal experience. But in that same anointing, we get an anointing of relationship. We're able to minister before God. Paul said we can go boldly into the throne room of God. We can pray things that before God would never have heard that prayer. We can ask things that before God would never have acknowledged. But now we have an anointing of relationship. And it's also the anointing of kingship. And I believe most of us struggle with this place right here because we don't understand the authority we have with God in his kingdom when it comes to working in ministry. We don't understand that we have the ability to pray the prayer of faith and someone be healed. Not because of who we are, not because we've been anointed, but because of the anointing of that relationship, that authority that we have with him. And whenever we walk in our authority, when we walk according to what God has purposed in our life and wills for us, That's when Jesus dances. So I ask the same question to you today. Samuel asked Saul, what are you going to do with your anointing? Are you just going to keep it for you? Are you going to make it about your relationship, about how you feel? Are you going to step into a higher anointing? 
and fulfill all of the others. Luke 10, 17 through 21. I told you we would talk about where Jesus danced. This is the only place where we see Jesus literally get beside himself. We can see him where he weeps in prayer. We can see him where he sweats great drops as if it were blood in prayer. But only one place do we see Jesus somewhat manic in his actions. Luke 10, 17 through 21 says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So in one instance, he says, I'm anointing you, but it's multidimensional. And it says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed, for so it seemed good in your sight. That word rejoiced, you dig into that word, it means that he began to leap for joy. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced. Jesus was dancing. Jesus was leaping, he was rejoicing, he was celebrating the fact that those 70 that he had sent out, when they came back, his disciples had been walking and using their authority that he had given to them to take back their cities. The authority they had to free people from the bondage of demons from the bondage of sickness, the bondage of Satan, the bondage of sin. And Jesus looked and he said, the anointing. They're exercising their power. They're exercising what I, what I have been showing them and teaching them and leading them to. They're doing it. And so I ask one more time, if you'll stand with me, I just want to ask this question one more time. What are you going to do with your anointing? What are you going to do with your anointing? If you've not experienced a new birth, a baptism, the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, the Bible makes it super simple. It says all we have to do is believe. You can't receive anything if you don't believe. It says we're to repent, and that just simply means turn from sin. And that's more than just understanding God's forgiven you. It's more than just asking for forgiveness. It's, it's taking all of the things that we know to be sin, we have knowledge that we fail in, and saying, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to resist the urge, the temptation, the sin that's before me, and I'm going to turn my life and my heart 
to God. And then scripture tells us we're to be baptized, Acts 2 and 38. Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. The word remission means for the washing or cleansing, removing of sin. Removing of the stain of sin. And the promise is you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every person who has believed and every person who has trusted God and who will give God the opportunity they'll have the same experience that's what God did he took something that was elite that was only for the priest only for the prophet only for the king only for certain people and then the lowest of the low and he said I'm going to give them all the same experience give them the same anointing Guess what? If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you got the same anointing I got. I know some people are like, no, I don't believe it. No, you got the same anointing I got. You got the same anointing as the person next to you. The same person that had that experience, it was the same. The same anointing. God is no respecter of persons. Thank God for that. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. We're going to finish this service up.